Hello, everybody, and welcome back to With That Said, the podcast focused on helping and inspiring Black millennials to survive workplace culture. I'm your inspiration coach, Amira Lawson, and thank you for joining me today. If you like my podcast, be sure to follow me on SoundCloud, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or wherever you listen. You can always reach me at withthatsetpodcast at gmail.com, and don't forget to follow me on Instagram, with that set podcast or on Facebook with that set podcast where you can join our community. I look forward to hearing from you. Now let's get into the conversation. All right. I think it sounds much better. Oh yeah. <laughs> hey, do you have a hey, iPhone? I do. <laughs> what does you want me have? An Android. Damn Apple. I know, I'm, I'm telling you, he's not gonna let the let me live this down now. It's, um, it's downhill from here. <laughs> no, it's unbelievable because my friend who has the other my other friend who I did it over the phone with also has an Android. Oh, so I wonder if it's something with like iPhones, but whatever. That's a whole rabbit hole. I'm not even gonna go down. Thank you so much, Kwame. <laughs> So before we get into it, I want to thank everybody for joining us for another episode of With That Set Podcast. Today we have an amazing guest, Nyasia. Um, and before I let Nyasia introduce herself, I just want to take a second to just acknowledge where we are right now as a country. And just to, to let everyone know, my thoughts and prayers are with everyone who might be suffering during this time of crisis. Um, please try to stay positive. Um, this is just an opportunity for us to get together like sisters, have a very down-to-earth dialogue, um, to take our minds off of the news because it's crazy. <laughs> so um, I'll introduce my guest, Nyasia, and I'll let her take the floor to tell us who she is, what she does, and we'll go on a journey through her professional career and how she got to where she is today. Sounds good. Um, thank you so much, Amira. Um, I just first want to say, one, thank you for inviting me. And two, I'm very proud of you and all that you're doing for women, Black women as a whole. Um, and I'm always here to support you. So hello, everyone. My name is Nyasia Sarfo. Uh, currently, I work for Microsoft. And I'm responsible for leading diversity for the Cloud Operations and Innovation Group, which is a 5,000-person organization responsible for cloud services. Um, so I'm based here in Redmond, Washington, at our headquarters. Oh, so I know you didn't just wake up and end up at Microsoft. <laughs> <laughs> that I'm sure it didn't just happen like that. So... Um, I want to dig a little bit because, I mean, I think your story is so amazing. You know, just to give everybody a background, Nyasia and I met, um, we actually went to Rutgers together, but I did not know Nyasia when I was at Rutgers. Um, mm -hmm. We didn't, we never really connected. I did know her husband, Kwame, just through like social circles and he was very popular on campus, but I didn't really know Nyasia. Um, so we had an opportunity to connect through some mutual friends later on in life. And I just remember being like, this woman right here is so dope. Like, she's so dope. She's super down to earth. She's very religious. She was all about, like, keeping the Black family together, um, chasing your dreams, being supportive of not only your friends, but also your spouse. So I knew she was going places. Now, did I know she was going to Seattle? 
absolutely not. <laughs> but I knew she was going places. So um, I, I'm kind of curious, like, where did it all begin for you? So we, you know, it started at Rutgers and I just take us from there where you ended up working after you left college, what that work experience was like for you. What were some challenges you might've faced while you were there and like how you knew it was your purpose in life to, to move or to, or to shake up the status quo. Yeah. So this started way before um, Rutgers. Um, so I always have to tell people born and raised New York city, uh, New York made me who I am. Um, and so <clears throat> I still think that I started this journey way before I even realized that, you know, I wanted to go into diversity or law. I grew up in a home where I saw my mother be a really strong Black woman. And that was my first introduction into, you know, having a voice, standing up for yourself, being you know, being a strong woman, having backbone and living that throughout your life and all that you do. Um, so I went to high school at the Bronx School for Law, Government and Justice in the Bronx in New York. Um, and there I went to that school specifically because my mother knew I wanted to get into law and I wanted to really have a voice and and use my voice to help others who one have a voice but don't know how to use their voice or afraid to use their voice. So she put me in this school specifically to get me into a ground of law and being able to help people. After that, I went after I graduated high school, I went to Lincoln University actually, which is an HBCU in Pennsylvania. Wow, um, after I did about, not know that. Yeah. Yeah. I did not know that. Okay, okay. HBCU, mm-hmm. stand up. <laughs> <laughs> and, and that's actually where I met my husband. Um, we actually coincidentally lived really close, like down the block from each other in the Bronx, had mutual friends, but never knew one another. Coincidentally, we both went to Lincoln. Um, we, you know, we met, he came and he said, you know, don't you live in? And he had mentioned the complex I lived in. And I was like, I called my mother, like, it's some God here to know where we live. Get me out of here. <laughs> um, but, yeah, but then about two years after, we um, we transferred to Rutgers um, in New Brunswick. And then from there, um, I became a women and gender studies major. So still following on that path of women's rights and wanting to have a voice for people. Um, and so after graduating there, I went on to Albany Law School. And I received wait, wait, the wait, master's. let's pause, let's pause, because that's okay. another thing I didn't know. I did not know you were a women and gender studies major, so was I. I oh, I, really? I never saw you in any of my classes, though, so I, I need answers. <laughs> um, but uh, we, that's something that I didn't even know we had in common. So what yeah. prompted you to want to get into women and gender studies? Because I think that's important. I know you, you know, women having a voice and you being a strong black woman. Like, does that tie back to the way you was brought up as a child? Or is it something you discovered you wanted to do while you were at Lincoln or while you got to Rutgers? Like, just take us through that thought process a little more. Yeah, no, it, it's solely from how I was raised. Solely. Um, you know, I think I always say this. I remember in elementary school, um, we had an awards ceremony um, and, you know, kids were getting most likely to succeed, perfect attendance. And the school actually created an award just for me. And the award was most likely to tell the teacher he or she is wrong. (laughs) And I know. (laughs) And so I was like, you know, so from young, I had a voice. I'm going to tell you how I feel, honest, straight. 
And so I think that the women in gender studies was just an extension from what I was doing as a kid. And, um, and like I said, really basing it in my mother, you know, being raised by my mother and seeing all that she was doing for my brother and I, there was, this was an easy, I didn't even know this was a major. When I got, I was like, oh, college is going to be easy. Cause I, I'm, I get to do what I, what I love to do anyway. And so, um, so yeah, it was a it was a natural transition. But yeah, I definitely didn't know you were women in gender studies. Now I was a, a Livingston student, but I my classes all were you know on Douglas. Oh, okay, that's probably so. That's why we didn't connect because you were Livingston and I was Douglas. Um, oh, but, okay. But we didn't see each other in classes. But whatever, I just had to digress because I was really interested in that part of the story. Because it's usually not until later in life that women find their passion and purpose. But you, you for you, it seems like you kind of had that as a kid. And like everything you did after that just was following along what was built inside of you when you when you started. So fast forward beyond college, you end up mm-hmm. getting your first job. Where do you work? What do you do? And like, how was how was that going from being a young adolescent? to being a young professional, what did that transition look like? And then what experience did you have um, as a person of color in that workspace? So um, after college, the plan was to go to law school. Like I said, that was the plan. That's all I knew. If you knew me as a kid, you knew Naija was going to be a lawyer. But I think God had a different plan for me. Um, I remember my husband always saying to me, you know, God has a way of putting you in situations and, and working things out better than you can imagine. Or it may not be the traditional path. And mm-hmm. I had a hard time grasping that. So I applied to law school. Um, I never was a good test taker. I'll write a 50-page essay before I take a five-question multiple-choice test. And so the LSATs was just something I never really did well on. And mm-hmm. so... I didn't get accepted into law school under a JD program, but my credentials and everything so good that um, I was accepted into a master's program, a master's of science for intellectual property law. Now, the plan was to become an entertainment lawyer, which focuses to some degree on the field of intellectual property. So I said, okay, you know what, let me try this this, um, program. The program was a two-year program. I did so well that I finished it in, in one year. Graduated with honors. Wow. Um, and I, I enjoyed it. That's how I knew, okay, I'm on the right path. So to my husband's point, while I did technically go to law school, my classes were all basically law school electives, um, I didn't go that traditional route, which as I look over my life, nothing about me has been traditional. Um, mm-hmm. And so... After graduating from school, my first job was an intellectual property administrator at Pearson Education. And Pearson um, does um, educational books. So textbooks usually that you would see in college and high school is what Pearson develops. And so I was responsible for licensing content in and out of these textbooks. Um, this was it was in Upper Saddle River, New Jersey, and this job was really a great introduction into my first real world job. Now, I used to go to work with my mom and really get um, 
hands-on work experience. So working wasn't new to me, but this was my first real paying job um, on my own. And so the experience was great. I was introduced to so much. I learned a lot about myself. Um, and like I really what? What, did you learn, what did you learn about yourself? So I want to dig a little bit there. Like what, what did you learn about yourself? And why, when you say it was your first real introduction into though, like, I don't know what, if we would call it corporate, right? Cause it wasn't really mm-hmm. corporate. Um, but it, like, what was that like for you as a black woman? Like you, you know, coming out of law school with your master's degree, you're walking in, this is your first job. Did you get the respect as a woman who was educated with multiple degrees did you have that respect? What was that transition like? Were you did you know that you needed to negotiate for your salary? Like, what did that whole process, I guess, kind of look like? Mm-hmm. So I was blessed, honestly, to have a black man as my manager. Mm. So he took me under his wing from the interview process. From once he met me, I believe I applied um, for the job, and um, once he met me. He was an entertainment lawyer, coincidentally. And so once he met me on an interview and we had conversations and I can remember him asking me questions and I just coming out of school, the law content was fresh on my mind. So, you know, I was shooting terms at him and he was like, wow, you know, for you to be so young, you you really know what you're talking about. And so when I remember, you know, them saying, okay, you got the job. And from day one, he took me under his wing to today. I can still text him and say, hey, what's going on? I have a question, you know? And so he was really devoted to me becoming a strong professional. And so he taught me um, how to present myself in a meeting, when to, you know, step back and just observe, just little tips and tricks as to how to navigate corporate America. Mm, Like your mentor. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, exactly. He, it was a, a, a mentor. I didn't ask. It just came. But I think that he saw me as a young black woman just coming into my own, into this space. And mm-hmm. then he wanted to make sure that I, I was on the right path. Now, in terms of negotiating my salary and things like that, negotiation is just something that comes naturally. I negotiate with my cell phone provider to get discounts so negotiating (laughs) is something that comes naturally did I know the power of negotiation in the business world at that time no um I negotiated for my salary but did I know you can negotiate for more you know PTO days or sick days none of that I wasn't really hip to at the time Mm -hmm. but um I did I did negotiate my salary. And also I was just coming out of school with, you know, school loans in the back of my mind. I was just happy to be making over $50,000, you know? And Mm -hmm. so, you know, I was just thankful for that. And so I stayed with Pearson for probably about two years, two and a half years. And at the time we were living in central Jersey. So the commute was a lot. We, we put a lot of miles on our car for me driving from Central Jersey to Upper Saddle River every day. So an opportunity presented itself for me to work in Princeton at Educational Testing Service. So it was a hard decision, but I decided to leave Pearson solely because of the commute. 
Um, mm-hmm. My husband was working in New Brunswick at the time. So it made sense for me to come that way, uh, you know, come back towards Central Jersey. So I want to so, pause for a second there. Mm-hmm. So when you put everything on the scale, because you just dropped some juicy knowledge there, you had a mentor there, somebody who was invested in your professional growth and development, who was navigating you across that social landscape. And you had to weigh that against the commute. So right. when you when you think about when you think about that, like, do you have any advice for young women or or whoever in in America in, in workplace culture who might be have something similar on the scale. So for you, you did you chart it on a pro and con list and say, you know what, this commute it outweighs everything I'm giving up, or did you not even have the foresight to think about that at the time? No, I do a pro and con list for everything. So it was definitely okay. a pro and con list. Um, my husband and I we run a tight budget you know, family meetings on Sundays, going over budgets. And so when I looked at the money we were spending just in gas and toll, Mm -hmm. it didn't make sense. In terms of the mentor part, I knew that we had developed a relationship to where he would still be my mentor regardless. And so also I'm one, I've always been one that I, I get bored easily. So I have to keep challenging myself. Despite Mm -hmm. me not liking change, I know for me to stay engaged and on my toes, I have to keep challenging myself. And I was at a point where I needed a new challenge. I needed something different. And so the decision, so my advice would be one, yes, always do a pro and con list because it helps to get the ideas out of your head and onto paper. And then when you get that onto paper, it's easier to see. Mm -hmm. Something else... um, a policy that, you know, we implement, my husband and I, is any um, purchase we make that's over $500, we sleep on it first. So first we sleep on it. We say, okay, we want to buy this. It's over $500. Let's sleep on it. And then in the morning or the next day, if we still have the same desire to do something or buy something, let's go for it. And I I put that same uh, approach to life decisions as well. I sleep on it. And if in the next day or a few days, I still feel like, ah, this still feels right, then I move forward with it. And so with this, with the pro and con list, sleeping on it, praying on it, speaking with my mentor, it all felt right. And so I decided to make that move. Um, I think you have to really. No, no, no. I was going to say, I'm really happy to hear you say that because I think a lot of. A lot of people, not just women, but people of color, they they kind of get afraid sometimes, right? So mm-hmm. you you might be in a comfortable situation like you were where things are going well. You have a mentor. You have someone invested in you. You're about to make a pretty big move. You're, I mean, $50,000 or more right out of college is pretty good income, right? So mm-hmm. you're, you're giving up all of that to walk into the unknown. So I think that's very... Um, very strategic of you to say like I sleep on it I made a pro and con list I understood the choice that I was making and I felt the confidence to make the decision anyway so now you move on and you're services right right yeah so you get there what is what is that experience like and and you know because it's a whole different environment I mean similar industry but a whole different environment so just talk to us a little bit about that yeah so this was where I mean, when I talk about relying on prayer, faith, and family, this this job was challenging. 
Mm-hmm. Um, so coincidentally, now I was reporting to a black woman, and I had great coworkers. Um, so there, uh, so at ETS, ETS makes standardized tests. So your GREs, uh, your SATs, they partner with the SAT administration test administrators to develop those tests. And again, I was licensing content in to go into tests. And so still in my field of intellectual property, the job wasn't very challenging in a sense that I was able to really grasp the concepts of IP law and licensing. I was able to use my negotiation skills. It was a really great job. But management is what was the problem. I had a manager that wasn't, I believe that wasn't happy as a person, um, 100%. And we clashed a lot. And she clashed with actually all of her directs um and so it was it was a really really difficult time um so how did you how did you manage because i I know a lot of people are in that in that predicament where you're working at a company where the company's fine it's financially healthy you're making good money Mm -hmm. but you have a manager who might be difficult um what advice you know as someone who is a professional leader in the organization what advice would you give your your 20 something year old self then that you know now um i so for me i i first i started with the manager i went to her directly like hey something's not working here we're clashing you're clashing with my coworkers what let, let's have a meeting so we had meetings no change so i escalated it i went to her manager i'm like hey this is not working something's not right i need you guys to look into it Change was trying to be made, but it wasn't moving fast enough. So I went above her head. Now, were, the, another were the issues you guys clashing on, were they like policy and procedure issues or just personality conflicts? It was personality conflicts. It was okay. things like, you know, I need everyone to be in the office at 830. Right. And it's like, OK, their traffic on Route 1 could have been like really bad one morning and you get in at 833. And it's like, well, okay, there's this whole write-up. You're going to get in trouble. Mm, and, a power-motivated like, individual. If you refer to episode exactly. one, ruthless. Yes, <laughs> <laughs> exactly. And it's like, you know, like, come on. You know, like, just because you live down the block and you may not have to endure the traffic, like, there's there's things here that should be looked at. Mm-hmm. Or, you know, there were mistakes being made across the board. Um, from everyone in our processes in the work, we would bring to her attention like, hey, maybe we need to implement some new policies and procedures because the industry is changing. We need to account for that. No, keep it the way it is. It's working. No need to change. Mm -hmm. And it's like, okay, but then don't get mad at us when mistakes are being made when we're trying to show you how things need to change. And so so I think just... mm -hmm. No, no, go ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead. Oh, I think just having the mindset that she had and not really looking at us as one adults or, you know, as as equals to some degree caused a lot of conflict in in issues. And so I kept escalating because I'm like, this is not going to work until I got to a point where I put my health above a job and a paycheck. Mm. And similar to the other question you had asked me leaving from uh, Pearson to go to ETS. Yes, it was more money, 
but I've learned throughout my life money doesn't buy happiness it doesn't buy peace it's helpful Mm -hmm. and it's a means to an end and it's a support for a lifestyle but I really try hard not to make money my driving force in decisions and so coincidentally during this rough time at ETS I had applied for a job at Amazon and this was in 2013 it's easy. I, I was saying I agree with you because I think it's easy for um, people of color because we've been so disenfranchised and because we've been so marginalized that we can sometimes see say, OK, well, I'm making a good salary or I'm in a very good position um, financially. And I think that pigeonholes us from having the confidence mm-hmm. to to like, no, I'm not going to let you take advantage of me. I'm not going to let you tell me that. I'm, I'm, you know, I'm five minutes late to work written up when the work is still getting done on time. And really, that's the most important thing. So I think right. that what you're saying is a great message, that, that great message for the audience is that you have to put your, your own personal health first, because if you don't, no one else will. Like, no one's going to look out for you if you're not looking out for you. Exactly. And I think, too, sometimes as black people, we're looking at, OK, we have bills, we have, mm-hmm. you know, responsibility. And it's true. We do. We all do. Um, but I think that's where you got to tap in that faith. Like, God's mm-hmm. going to get me through this. You know, if he pulled me this far, he's not going to leave me now. And and I think, you know, you got to have you got to do the work. You have to do the work. You can't sit there and be like, OK, well, I want this to change. I want this to change for me. I have to. I have to make, if you're not going to help me, then I'm going to have to do it by myself. And mm-hmm. so for this, you know, once I realized things weren't changing or getting better, um, for me, I had to make that decision that it's time for me to look for something else. Now and in Seattle. Now, now in Seattle. Because nope. I mean, you, you're looking. <laughs> no, no not right. Exactly. Because you know what? <laughs> at that time, um, my brother, he, he works for my, he was working for Microsoft he, straight out of college. And so he was already out in uh, Washington. So I said, okay, you know what? There will be something different and new. And, you know, I want to be closer to to more family. So I I applied to a job, a contracts manager position at uh, Amazon. I I didn't make it past the phone interview stage. So I said, okay. Um, So I kept applying because, like I said, one me as a person, if it's not working, I'm going to find something else. <laughs> and so mm-hmm. Mattel reached out to me. Uh, I had applied for a job at Mattel and they reached out to me and said, you know, we are interested in you interviewing. So I remember that being able to take days off of work at my at ETS under this manager was so difficult. I was like, I need this opportunity. So I went for the interview and I got the job. Now, this job was in New York City. Now, mind you, I told you, initially, we were living in Central Jersey, and I was traveling to uh, Upper Saddle River, which was about an hour and some change commute. This job, ETS, was maybe about 20 minutes from Central Jersey to Princeton, much easier commute. Now, this new opportunity presents itself in New York, and that's a two-hour commute each way. Mm. But... I needed to get out of my current situation. You know, I'm born and raised in New York. So I'm like, hey, I'm going home. You know, I know how to navigate a train, a bus and a cab and do what I got to do. And so I decided to take the job with Mattel. 
And then at Mattel, I was responsible again for licensing. So it was more consumer products. So when you would see Barbie on diapers or on any type of apparel, I was drafted and negotiating those agreements um, to have the IP on different products. Oh, 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 that's all you were doing. Don't you say it so cavalier, like, oh, and by the way... <laughs> I was just um, working on IP for one of the largest <laughs> global brands in the world. <laughs> no big deal. <laughs> uh, but yeah, and so it was uh, Mattel and also Hit Entertainment. And so Hit owned uh, Thomas the Tank Train and um, Barney, things like that. A classic. Exactly. <laughs> so um, I was managing uh, the agreements for those, you know, that IP. During this time, um, I also got pregnant with my first child. And for me, it was really important that I had a job that had great work-life balance. The team at uh, Mattel, I, I still keep in contact with some of them today, the, uh, the most amazing supportive team. And when I went on the interview, I was really open and honest with them. Like I'm leaving a toxic environment and I really need to come into a place where I am supported, I'm, I, I can learn. Um, and really just grow both personally and professionally. And so that's the advice wait, I would give. I, I got to interrupt mm -hmm. you there because that takes some, uh, once again, balls to be able to be so authentic to yourself to say, you know what? I'm going out into this interview being my fully authentic self. And I'm going to let them know what it is because that's what employers are looking for. They want you. They don't want the, mm -hmm. the resume that you're pretending to give or you know because you know it's all like yeah, 80 percent mental 20 percent whatever <laughs> so mm -hmm. they want the real you so i think we need to stop there and just acknowledge that for for people of color that when you gotta have the confidence to go into the interview and keep it 100 because that yeah, takes that takes a lot and look where it got you so i just wanted to commend you for that and thank you for sharing that piece of the story because that's important so sorry to interrupt you but i wanted to make i wanted to make a point on that no that's a good point and i, and I think too it's like it takes too much work to be something you're not you know what i mean like like i say to people you know when i remember interviewing with amazon and we'll get into that i'm like you know i need y'all to understand who you're getting there are some mm -hmm. days i'm gonna come in here with six inch heels and other days I'm going to come in with a big gold chain and Air Max, but, but know who you getting, you know, mm -hmm. like I have to be authentic to who I am and, and, and that's it. That's the only way I know how to be. And I think too, being upfront and honest um, with people, it breaks down so much confusion later on down the line. Um, and if, and if too, watch, I'm a big proponent of writing things down because it helps you to really know what you want I knew leaving ETS and going into whatever was my next job that I had to have an environment that was going to be healthy for me and my family, financially, emotionally, spiritually. And so Mattel was truly that blessing that came. Mm -hmm. um, um, I, and I agree with, I agree with you 150%. And I think I didn't learn that lesson for myself. And I'm so happy you're sharing that part of the story because I didn't learn that lesson for myself. Until I had been in corporate America for like four years before I mm -hmm. reached the confidence level to be like, I'm definitely showing up to work in my Uggs and I'm still going to be number one 
Because <laughs> right. that, like because that's me. I want to be comfortable. I think better when I'm comfortable. My toes be hurting. Who want to be in hell every day? Like, <laughs> you know what I mean? That's not the circulation. You need your blood flow. <laughs> hey, remember I was traveling two hours each way. Everybody got oh, time God. for that. <laughs> My goodness. So Mattel welcomes you with open arms. Like, how was that experience? And what what made you leave? Right. So I'm going to jump back for one second. One thing also that I that I'm a huge proponent of is the Shrimps Finders book. Um, Yeah, I use that book a lot. um, And I actually do the survey probably about every four to five years to test myself. Um, Who is it written by if you know offhand? Yeah, I will. I'll I'll, I have to think about it, but I'll get it for you um, in a second. But basically, the concept of the book is for you. It's by Tom Rath. T O M R A T H. Mm-hmm. And it's a part of Clifton Strengths. And basically, what it is is you take a an assessment of your strengths and weaknesses, things you like and don't like. And at the end, you get a result of uh, a detailed analysis of your strengths, your weaknesses, potential jobs that will fit based on your strengths and weaknesses. Mm-hmm. And like I say, I, I take it probably about every four to five years just to make sure I'm still in line with what my passions are, uh, what I enjoy doing. I remember when I was getting ready to go to college, my mother made me write a list of what is my ideal college. And, you know, at that time I was like, you know, I want to go to a black school. I want to hit a Jackson five plan during Christmas. I had like this (laughs) whole unrealistic (laughs) list, but, but the, the, the exercise, which is something I still do today Help me to like really again put into focus what I want, and the Strengths Finder book is a good tool for people who just may need a little bit of direction as to figuring out where they want to go and how they want to do it. This book gives a really good analysis and direction for that. Mm, um, thank you for sharing that. I'll put the um link to the book in the description of the podcast for anybody who wants to audible it or Amazon Prime it if you get yep. it anytime this next year. <laughs> the way the way supply chain is i don't know <laughs> exactly i don't know so so um again so i was like i said i was at mattel happy um we um you know we found that i was pregnant so i was pregnant uh still traveling two hours each way um from jersey to new york um and finally i went on maternity leave uh the team threw me a baby shower. It was great. I was happy. It was it was really great. So while I was on maternity leave, um, I still remember I was at home um, and I received an email from a recruiter at Amazon. And the title of the email was phone interview, my name and then contracts manager. Now, remember, I told you now two years prior, I had just applied for that while I was at ETS. And I didn't mm-hmm. get past the phone interview stage. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> and so this time I was thinking to myself, like, man, I'm going to get this job, you know. But I said, you know what, I'm just going to take it a step at a time. Because I think sometimes we get overwhelmed. We see an opportunity and we think all the way to the end, like, how are we going to, you know, accomplish this whole big thing? But I remember saying to myself, just take it a step at a time. Don't focus on the entire process. And so... Mm-hmm. The phone interview, I remember it was scheduled for February 12th at noon. And I felt prepared. Um, at the time, the baby was, what, two months? 
Um, I remember my husband had the baby and I, I was ready. Uh, and I was like, I'm, a, I'm determined to shine. I'm going to show them who I am. And that interview was the best interview I have ever had, uh, ever. So the what, what are some strategies you took for your phone interview the second time that you didn't utilize the first time? I think it was experience. I think okay. Mattel, I didn't have enough experience yet to, to really excel in a job when I applied in 2013. And I think my answers really showed that. Um, okay. because, you know, as you know, in a legal field, you know, you need to understand certain terms and, you know, be able to redline a contract and, you know, being able to really draft and negotiate a really good contract is, is key. And it was key for this particular role. And I think between Pearson and ETS, I didn't have that. I was, and, and then when, um, Mattel came in that role at Mattel really prepared me well for the Amazon job. Um, okay. And so the interview and I, we connected on so many, on so many levels. I mean, to this day, her and I are still friends. Um, and so we did the, the phone screen. And then um, two weeks later, I received another email. And the title of that email was on-site interview. And then my name. And I was like, all right, look at God. So again, taking it step at a step at a time. I'm like, okay, I did the first part. Now it's the second part, which was on-site interviews. I also had to do a writing sample, which was really just redlining a contract. Mm -hmm. um, How did you prepare for that? Did you do any research, or what would you recommend for someone who has to do a writing sample for a, a, you know a management level position at a global organization? Well, it's different from a legal standpoint because from a legal okay. standpoint. I needed to review the contract, um, redline some terms, things, issues that I saw in the contract, give my reasonings for why we shouldn't indemnify, you know, a particular company. So for this particular writing sample, it was very specific to the field. Now, there okay, are other okay. writing samples where, you know, you have to, you know, write an actual document. Um, so that would be different. But I think for me... The, there really wasn't much preparation because it's what I was doing every day already just for a different okay. field. So okay. it wasn't, you know, much on that, on that part. Um, and then, um, so yeah, so I got that interview. It was like on-site interview. And I remember the first line on the email has said, you know, we would like to schedule time to fly you out to Seattle for an in-person interview. And I was like, wow. Um, and then it was March 6th. I remember the date. My husband and I, we flew to Seattle. Uh, and my oh, first. Oh, he came. What you come through? Yeah, that's it. Oh, oh, it's a package wait, did deal. Did they pay for him to come too? I don't remember actually. <laughs> I, yeah, I, I don't remember actually. Um, but um, but yeah, and so the the um interview started at eleven thirty, and I went straight through till six thirty. That is something oh, I will goodness. I will say that is very um normal taxi standard for these. <laughs> tech interviews you will be in there for hours um it was you know I, I i i did that one time for a job mm -hmm. um actually for my current position that i'm in now and it was one of those long ones where you're back to back to back and it's oh you get so steer crazy you're like wait 
Do I repeat what I said to yeah. this one to this <laughs> exactly. one? Do I say something different? You got to. Exactly. And so I want to take a moment because I know there's some of our listeners who've done round robin interviews before. So I want to just give some some strategies really quickly. And I'll get, you know, I'll give a strategy and you can give one. Okay. Just so because a lot of women I'm sure are either preparing for, especially now that we're in this looming recession there's about to be a lot of people looking for a job Mm -hmm. so I want to kind of give a strategy when you're doing a round robin interview one of the things I would recommend is you want to save a little piece of yourself for each individual person so don't give it all away to one person so that when you get to the next one they're asking you questions and you're repeating answers that you gave previously so try to keep a little bit of yourself and save it and then try to build an individual connection with each in, with each interviewer. So, you know, build rapport, spend a couple minutes getting to know who they are, do they have kids, what they like to do for fun because people want to work with people that they like. That that's the that's the reality of it. But that would be my one, my my two quick tips. What about you, Naija? So, I agree with that. I think one in your preparation, you want to make sure that you have more than enough examples. I can remember when I was actually doing interviews once I had gotten to Amazon and, you know, when we had two really close candidates and then when we're all, you know, trying to see, okay, who would be the right candidate? And we would say, well, that person told me that same example from, you know, when they, you know, person one can repeat the same example that the interview, the candidate gave person three. And it's like, ah, they don't have enough examples, so we're going to pass on them. So you want to make sure mm-hmm. you have more than enough examples. And I think something else, something that I'm even currently working on is every least, every least little thing you do, it matters. So even if you help someone else create a new process, write it down and use that. Everything you do matters. Um, mm-hmm. And I think, too, going back to the point you made about making a connection with each interviewer, I can't remember my mother giving me this tip. Pay attention to every least little thing. If they have a button that's a pin on their shirt or a nice pin or a nice book, remember something because I think people underestimate the power of a thank you note. To this day, Uh people that send me a thank you note, they rank a little bit higher on my list than someone who doesn't. And so, you know, I would send a thank you note to them afterwards saying, and, and to each individual interviewer, I met with seven people, all seven people got a thank you note. And it, mm-hmm. you know, I really appreciate the time we we um, we spent speaking about X, Y, and Z and go specific, give examples of specific things that y'all spoke about so they know you were paying attention. You can mention, you know, I remember the pen that was on your yellow lapel, I felt like that was really nice. Like you really want to show attention to detail. And I think that goes a long way. I 100% agree with you. I'm getting like little chills because this these, these are the gems, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> these are the gems. Okay, so I don't want to I don't want to get derail ourselves too much, but I okay. had to make sure that we're really getting to the meat of the advice. But I really want to make sure before we run out of time, I want to get into how you got into diversity and inclusion because I think that's a great story from someone who had a huge legal background to just pivot. Like, how did that pivot happen? And then tell us how you got to Microsoft. I mean, like, it's freaking Microsoft. So let's talk about that a little bit. Yeah. No, so I'm just going to finish real quick. So with the Amazon. So we we did the interview. Uh, a week later, they sent me another email. and was like, the title was Amazon Offer. 
And I was like, wow, we got the job, you know. Um, and then we packed up. At the time, the baby was three months. My husband, I moved my mom with us. And on April 13th, I started, you know, my Amazon journey. Um, and that was, that was amazing. Um, so at- wait, 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 mm-hmm. wait, pause. <laughs> we didn't even talk about the fact that you moved to Seattle and took your whole family. And what happened? Like, how did that conversation go? <laughs> Yeah, we gotta, so, we gotta stop there. Right? So, I mean, from the first email that I got, which was February twelfth, um, my husband and I we started having what if discussion. So initially, though, he didn't want to move. He was like, "No, we're comfortable. New Jersey is familiar. Let's not rock the boat." However, we we had those discussions. We did the pro and con list, and we decided it was the the right move. Like, I really believe that true growth happens when we move past our comfort zone. And that's when mm. and that's when we grow, you know. And so from a personal standpoint, also, I, too, was a little nervous about leaving uh, the familiarity, the comfortability, our friends. But I remember speaking to one of my pastors, Pastor Mary C. Wright, Abundant Life in New Brunswick, New Jersey. Um, and she was Plug. she was saying um, she said, I remember her saying, baby, you know, when you have a piece about a decision, that's when you know you're making the right decision. Now, I was waiting for God to, like, come down, sit beside me and be like, Naja, this is the right move. That never happened. <laughs> I needed, like, clarity to that extent. Um, but there was a real subtle, calming feeling that came over me, and I knew that we had to go. Um, and I knew, too, this was going to be a great career move for me. And my husband has always been a major supporter. So we prayed on it, and we said, all right, let's do this. Um, and then, and, you know, we left. And it was hard. Like, you remember, we, we called everyone individually. And let them know, like, all right, we moving, but but we still here, you know. And so, mm-hmm. um, you know, you guys' support was important for us as well. And so, yeah. But um, well, um, I I think that I think that was so dope. I still remember where I was when you called me. I was standing <laughs> in my apartment in the living room in front of the TV, and I looked over at my husband, and I was like, "Kwame and I are moving to Seattle," and he was like, "Seattle." <laughs> like, yeah. I'm like, you know, I, I just remember, and I think it was a source of inspiration, um, particularly for me and for our, our, I mean, I can't speak for everybody, but I know it was a source of inspiration for myself um, with, with something that you said, growth happens when you move beyond your comfort zone. Mm-hmm. And that, and I remember being like, if Niasha and Kwame could pack it up and roll it out to Seattle, like you could do anything. Mm-hmm. Like you could do and you know and I think it was it was it was the first time that I had someone who who was close to me who had made such at the time seemed like such a dramatic move in life Mm -hmm. um and 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 have it happen in front of you and actually see it be successful was really really inspirational so I want to thank you for that because I think you doing that really it ignited something in me and like that I I still think about that (laughs) like wow like you could do anything. So I just wanted to like give you your kudos while you're still here Thank because you. people don't tell people enough. <laughs> um, uh, so, so you're at Amazon, you're in Seattle. Um, how, how, how was that? And how did that experience work out? How'd you get into diversity and inclusion? Yeah. So while I was at Amazon, like I said, I was in a legal department um, and I helped to initiate Amazon's legal diversity committee. And so we led like various events promoting diversity And my mother always says, you know, you want to find a job doing something you love, then it doesn't feel like a job. And it was at this time while I was doing the diversity work with legal that I realized I found exactly that, something I really love doing. 
in every job thereafter. So after I left legal, I moved into the Fire TV uh, department, the Amazon devices, and, and I made sure I added a diversity focus to the job. My job was about content strategy, but I made sure that the content that was shown on devices, on packaging, was diverse. And then after that job, I moved over into Amazon Central Diversity Org, where I was responsible for putting on diversity events um, internal, internally for the company globally. And so... So wait, did you meet any any pushback with your superiors as a woman of color who's really pushing for diverse kind? That's a big move. Like, we can't just skirt over that, Naija. Like, that's a big move. Did you get any pushback? What What was the support like? How? What was the conversation like to say, you know what, I'm going to advocate for this, this content? Yeah. Like, what did that look like? So, yeah. you know what, I think that Fire TV, now I think about it, when I was in that org, that was like a mini ETS experience. I was the only black woman. Um, and so, like I say, like, if you go to you, you put on your device, if you have a, a fire TV device, um, I made sure we weren't just seeing shows that show white people. I made sure we showed the shows that had black people, Spanish people, like we had a diverse set of content on the TV when you put on your device or packaging. When you go into a store and you see the TV shows or um, the phrases that the device can say, I made sure there were things that represented all groups of people, not just white people. And I did receive uh, pushback. It was like, well, why do we need to do this? This is what sells. But for me, it was important to make sure that there was representation at all levels. Um, And I always say, you Mm -hmm. know, as a black person, you know, I've been in diversity and inclusion my whole life. I don't feel like I've you know, I've just gone into diversity because we live it every day. The blessing is that I just get paid right now to be a black woman. But I've been doing this. Look at since God. We, you know, <laughs> since we came out the womb. Um, <laughs> and so, um, and so, yeah, there was a lot of pushback. But um, again, it wasn't working. And so after a year, I said, this is it. And I moved into something else that works for me. And that's the advice I would give people. If it's not working, find what works you don't have to stay like it's a job it's a means to an end it's a means to a lifestyle if it is not working or it is not giving you growth in any way or it's really like pulling you down find something else because there is something else out there and someone else how did now how did you um network across the organization because you were in a whole different line of business the second time so were you networking with that business line before you moved or did you just see a app a, a posting and apply like how did you get your name yeah out there? so I, I started networking the day I, I, I walked in the door and so that's 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 key I think in business you gotta network you mm-hmm. have to develop mm-hmm. those relationships whether you want to or not when I saw the opportunity had presented itself, well, I knew, like I said, I wanted to move into diversity full time. So I started developing relationships a little bit closer with certain people. Like we had a new diversity uh, um, and inclusion, like VP start, a director start. As soon as she joined the company, she was a black woman. I put time on her calendar to say, hey, this is who I am. That's Some right. always say, make sure they know your name. I'm like, this is who I am. Who are you? What is what are you about? What are, what is your goals to get to know them? So then once this position opened up on a central diversity team for me, um, on a central diversity team, they already knew my name. So 
I, you know, emailed them personally, like, hey, this role is open. I really want this role. This is why I can do it. I interviewed. And again, my manager was a black man. And when I say... You've been real lucky yes, with these people. Of color, yes. <laughs> again, again, and again, he is still a mentor. I just spoke to him, what, last week, you know, um, you know. But before you move on to the interview process, I want to take a second and pause because you dropped another okay. gem that we got to we gotta pause. <laughs> Putting yourself on other people's calendar. That is something when I mentor mm-hmm. people at my organization that I make a point of. If you see a leader, even if they're not in your line of business, reach out to them and ask them for 15 minutes on their calendar. That's how I talk about that and how to build mm-hmm. your brand, which is like my second episode. The, it's a part of the four calling birds. Like you just dropped the major gem. I feel like I want to insert a <laughs> like, you know, because it's true. Like you have to you have to have the confidence. And I think you people underestimate how many people don't do mm-hmm. it so when you do it you automatically look like a superstar mm-hmm. because you you have they're like wait a second this person has the confidence to email me i gotta meet exactly. him or her okay so i had to i had to i had to hit that burn, 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 burn real quick because that was a major <laughs> key all right you, I, I i won't I'll no no you, you good <laughs> oh but yeah, so um, he he was great. I had a, a great time at this job. Like I said, again, going back to being intentional, this team supported us in diversity and everything thereof. So we had, um, you know, we would put on events. So for example, you know, one event was focused on, um, con- it was called CORE, Conversations on Race and Ethnicity. And we would have conversations, bringing speakers, um, uh, talking about that, we had a gender diversity conference. We brought in, say, like Laverne Cox, and we we were really intentional about pushing the envelope. And my vendors, so those that I would have come to do my photography, videography, I made sure they were all people of color. So that means from mm. the, like I said, my videographer to my caterer to my person doing swag, I gave small businesses the opportunity to be a part of a larger company that they usually wouldn't. One person in particular, uh, his name is Anderson Cupid, an amazing artist. He also went to Rutgers and I flew him out to Seattle for him to come showcase his work at one of my events, you know? And so I think it's important that when we do get the opportunity to have a seat at the table and we understand the privilege that we have, we have to go back Mm. and give the opportunity to someone else especially in these big corporations that we're in because that's our responsibility. And so I hunt that yes. So I was yes. very very intentional agree. about doing that. And so again, I was comfortable. I was happy. Um my manager, the the black guy who I was referencing, he was leaving. Um uh, and so I was like, oh man, but you know, like I said, I was still comfortable, happy. I love Amazon. I always will love Amazon. But as God would have it, Microsoft reached out. And I said, hmm, you know, like I said, I wasn't looking, I wasn't trying to find another job, but Microsoft reached out. And again, I was in that that impasse, like, hmm, I don't, you know, I don't like change. I'm not really interested in changing, but I know that I need a new challenge. I know I need to be be pushed past my comfort zone again. And so let me give this an opportunity. And again, I took it a step at a time. They reached out to me on LinkedIn 
you know, they said, you know, we've been following you for a little while. We have this opportunity that presents itself. You know, are you interested? And so I said, well, let's have a discussion. Let me let me talk to get some more information. Because, again, another piece of advice, just because it's Microsoft, it's Amazon, that doesn't mean it's for you. You know, these these companies, you there's work. It's, it's, it's a lot of work, you know. And so I had to first make sure that I understood exactly what was required of me, what I needed. And I had a call with a recruiter. And coincidentally, the hiring manager was also on that call. So I had my list of questions to understand, you know, the role, the job. And again, it was a really great interview. They said, you know, we would like to bring you in to interview in person. So I did that. Um, and Oh, so mm-hmm. I want to uh, pause for a second because you just dropped. You just there dropped you go. the gym. We got, we got to pause. <laughs> just because don't let the company be bigger than mm-hmm. you. And one of the things that I always tell which uh, leading back to your other gym, helping people get a seat at the table who look like you. One of the things I always tell my mentees is you are interviewing the company the same way they're interviewing you. And one of the biggest questions you need to ask, because this is something I'm very passionate about is what's your leadership style. And then you got to like challenge them. When is the last time you promoted Mm -hmm. someone? Because I think that's a very, un, uh, someone mm-hmm. of color. And I'm very specific about it. Because I'm like, if you do not, if you can't tell me the last time you promoted someone of color or when the last, what your leadership style is or, you know, the, what's your vision for your team, then that, that's letting me know who you are as a person and what your fundamental values are. Because that's something people underestimate. So I wanted to, to stop there because you mentioned it, but we can't skate over it. So I wanted to yep, stop And there. I also I always ask them also, you know, um, what makes you, what do you think you're a good manager? How, do, how are you measuring success? Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Because if you don't mm-hmm. have no vision, no goal, and you're not happy, then I'm obviously not going to be set up for success. And so you got to ask those mm-hmm. tough questions. Um, and so, yeah, so we, we went through the interview process. And I remember I was sitting at a desk at Amazon um, and I got the call and they were like, you know, we want to offer you this position. And I was like, wow, we, we did it again and again. I wasn't looking. I wasn't looking. I was happy. I was fine. Um, it came to me. Um, and something else I want to go into real quick is salary negotiations. From the beginning, uh-huh. like I said, I didn't. I wasn't too uh, on top of it at when I first got into the working world. But now, you know, now I am. You know, and I think I think it's 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 important for people to know as much as I negotiate personally and professionally. Um, it's there's still a little bit of trimmer, you know, when you're, you're going back to say, hey, I want an extra X amount of dollars. You know, I remember when I went to Amazon, mm-hmm. I gave them a number and they came back $3,000 less than what I asked for. And then I looked at it and I said, okay, but I'm getting all these other things as well. So I can eat that 3000 here again. They came with a number much more than I was expecting. But I still pushed for more because I, you know, like I said, once I sat down with my husband and we look at what our goals are, this is the number I needed, you know. And like I said, I was nervous. I remember mm. sending an email like, whew, it's out now and there's no turning back. And, you know, they met me at another place that I didn't even think that they was going to meet me. At, you know what I mean? And so it's like 
while you mm-hmm. may feel a little nervous, you may feel a little unsure, you may second guess yourself, you may be thinking, Dag, if I ask for more, they may now rescind the whole offer. That's a lie. You know, don't be afraid to ask. That is a lie. Because that's how <laughs> you're going to get to where you need to be. You got to push that envelope because other people are doing it. And uh, you don't want to look back and be like, yes, I, man, oh. I wish I would have done it. And I always tell people, whatever they offer you, add 10 mm-hmm. to 15%. And they're going to counter you half of that because that, that's a, they expect. First of all, if you don't negotiate, that's mm-hmm. a, you're bad for business. I think if I was an employer and or a hiring manager and my the person who I was looking extended an offer to didn't bother to negotiate, that would mm-hmm. be a red flag for me because that would mean that right. you're a settler that or, or that you don't really understand your worth. Now, you may negotiate and the company may say this is the most that we can offer and they may tell you why we, we made the best offer we can. Mm-hmm. And that's okay too. It doesn't mean you got to be like, oh, I'm not taking the job, but you got to believe in yourself. You got to believe, nope, I'm going to counter offer. And to your point, because you dropped another gem, you can negotiate. This was earlier in the conversation. Mm-hmm. PTO, vacation days, sick leave, stock. You can negotiate yeah. for extra stock too. You know, if there's a sign on bonus, you can negotiate for more of that. You know, there are so many things and always, always, always ask mm-hmm. about the sign on bonus because that's something that as as people of color, we don't right. even know is an option for us. But it's always an option for almost not every job in the organization, but for a good percentage of them, it's an option. So you better ask. But I had to stop there because that was another yep. major key. No, that, major key. Um, <laughs> and and so yeah, and so like I've been in a job now. I came in, uh started the first second week in January. It was a huge snowstorm. Um, then I might have been in the office for at most three, four weeks. And then, you know, now we're dealing with the coronavirus. And so, you know, there's, there's a challenge. I'm the only woman on my team. Um, the, Mm. there's one other black woman who's also from New York. She's a director. Um, but, but there is a color problem. And so I, like I said, I, I call myself a boundary pusher. I'm here to shake things up. And um, I have a very supportive team, really great co-workers. And so, you know, I intend to go in there and do what I do best. Um, and, you know, like I said, I couldn't do it without my support system. And um, and I'm 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 doing it. I, and I'm very, very, very excited to hear your story, to hear where you are, to get all the advice that you gave on this episode today, which was fantastic. You know, there's a lot of challenges facing people of color in the workplace in corporate America. Um, And I think that the conversation is not had enough outside of our own minds or amongst our small friend circles. So I think that I want to thank you so much for offering your advice on this episode, for being a leader as a black woman for bringing other people to the table with you for dropping gems, for giving women the confidence that you don't have to stay complacent in where you are for being a self-proclaimed boundary pusher and, and for doing it and for practicing what you preach and by letting your light shine, giving others permission to do the same. And I think that is like my biggest takeaway from this episode with you is that you, you give other people permission. And I think that's fantastic. And I'm so happy to have you again. And thank you so much, Naija. Is there any final words you want to say to the audience that you haven't um, already said? Just one last thing um, is 
also, whether you're working in diversity or, or any place, make sure you set boundaries. You know, we, we give so much of ourselves to these jobs. Um, and working in diversity is very taxing mentally and spiritually, um, especially as a Black woman, which is one of the most marginalized groups. Things hit me differently. But it's really important for me to be intentional about when to step away and take care of myself. And I'm still struggling with it. But I want everyone else to do the same. Make sure you take time for yourself and really take care of yourself. Um, again, I appreciate you. You know, you've been on this journey with me. I remember when I was at ETS, I was calling you. Uh, so, like I said, it's a team <laughs> effort. I, I couldn't do this alone. But I appreciate you. I'm proud of you. And keep up the amazing work. Well, thank you so much, Niaja. And with that said, we'll end the conversation. Bye-bye. Bye.